Hello, Waterloo Road fans. It's me, Tom Beasley, your podcast host, popping in just before we start. And I think you know the drill by now. I'm here to say thank you to some very, very special people, our Patreon subscribers. So thank you very much to Tom Percival, to Eliza from Waterloo Road Iconic on both Instagram and Twitter, to Matthew Kumar, to Evan Francis, and to Georgia Leah, aka The Avocado Bath, on both Instagram and TikTok. Thank you to all of you for subscribing to our Patreon. And I have a few words to say about Patreon for those of you who are subscribers and aren't subscribers. As you're listening to this, this coming Monday, the latest exclusive Patreon episode of the podcast is due to go live. We will be discussing our awards for Series 2 of Waterloo Road. We'll be discussing the best episodes, the worst episodes, the funniest moments, our favourite storylines. All of that fun stuff will be there as we discuss Series 2 and hand out some awards to those who deserve it. So that episode will be going live on Monday. If you like the sound of that, and you would like to subscribe, you can head over to patreon.com slash Pod. You can choose your tier, choose how much money you would like to part with in order to subscribe, and then you can enjoy all of the exclusive episodes and extended interviews that have already gone live, as well as all of the ones we have to come. The uh, interviews with both Jamie Glover and Jason Merrills, of course, are already there in extended form. And I will be recording another interview this week, which will be uh, going live probably just this side of Christmas uh, with another Waterloo Road cast member. So I'm very excited to share that with you, both on the main podcast feed and, of course, in extended form on the Patreon. So thank you to those who have already subscribed. And if you would like to join them, it's patreon.com slash Waterloo Road pod. Thank you very much. And on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Everything From Nothing, the Waterloo Road podcast. My name is Tom Beasley and I am your Waterloo Road superfan, joined as ever by Luke Stevenson. The, um, I'm just going to start calling him a superfan. You're a superfan. I thought you were going to say the incomparable Luke Stevenson. No, I would never say that. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> why I thought you were going. <laughs> the thoroughly interchangeable Luke Stevenson. I'm not even um, that original, apparently. I booked an appointment with my hairdresser the other week and she just goes, oh, I thought you were this other Luke Stevenson I knew. <laughs> and, then you, and then you turned up and you weren't. And I was like, well... Wait, good. you're not my usual co-host. <laughs> <laughs> I just let any Luke Stevenson with a Zoom account <laughs> just hop yeah, on. And funny enough, none of them are Waterloo Road fans. <laughs> <Yeah>. How odd. <laughs> Must have found the only two Luke Stevensons in the country who don't love Waterloo Road. Yeah, so how are you feeling? This is the first time we've watched episodes in like two, three weeks. I mean, not that you'll be, not that anyone will be able to tell by the release schedule. <laughs> no, of course not. But we can, we know it. How does how does a two week break yeah. suit? We've just come back from our uh, just come back from our Christmas break. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I'd like it doesn't make a difference to me because I basically know most of what's happening. So it's not like I lose the track of the intricate stories. See, my mind, my mind is naffed from streaming. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on when this started, and then I was watching the preview and it was all like flooding back to me. And then I was like, "Why are they focusing on the musical so much?" <laughs> 
it was just like I just I was like slowly piecing it back together. And I was like, why is the musical the plot we're supposed to care about? Like they they show us like flashes of the Mika and Chloe storyline in terms of how it impacts the musical rather than you know the child sexual exploitation it exposed Chloe to. <laughs> It was. It seemed weird as well because that, like, th- those clips were from like four episodes ago. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot has happened since then. <laughs> a lot happens every minute. the The main plot of this episode is resolved by minute thirty three. But Aye. like, uh, we were quite trepidatious about this episode <laughs> when we saw the subject matter. But they, they really, yeah. I think that. Given the show, <laughs> they do it quite well. Yes, I think <laughs> there, there are moments which really stick out to me, but it's not the, the moments that mishandling. It's when it's when where they bring back Stasi Steph. That's <laughs> that's when the show kind of like loses its ah, grasp on things. Stasi Steph and her comedy cop partner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and. Yeah, and but like the kind of main thing about you know we can't we can't dance around it anymore. The main thing about the dead baby and who's the who the mother is, and why that happened, you know, in a neat if you kind of splice that together in a neat ten minutes, it's a very affecting thing that's very well done, very well acted. Um, but then there's all the kind of just rampant slut shaming that happens for the 40 minutes after the baby is discovered it's quite incredible and really like varied it's like all of the different types of what you get it's crazy it is absolutely crazy um so we should say the episode starts with uh, an archaeological dig which is happening just at the school for some reason uh, yeah they've decided like, Louis- this, this particular patch of ground is fertile for Fossils. Yeah, Lewis, a kitchen assistant, is there. He's just there. Why just... is he there? <laughs> so it's it's like it's Janice, Carla, Grantley has agreed to oversee it for some reason, and Lewis is there. I have no idea why. <laughs> just so weird. It does start with um, Muse, Starlight, which is a song I love, and it was a song that I heard for the first time in school because our physics teacher really didn't try very hard and she used to when she couldn't explain anything to us she would just show us youtube videos and um the thing is that is now how most of society learns anything so (laughs) oh yeah it's how i learned the earth was flat um (laughs) and um yeah one of them was soundtracked to start by muse and i i can't remember for the life of me um what the video was about, but I remember oh, the song. Glad it did its job then. <laughs> there was another one that was about echolocation, which this animated bat, and it was singing this really jaunty tune, and I know the tune to it. I found my prey, I found my way. Oh. <laughs> Delightful. Wow. Um, I, don't, I don't want to get into the discovery. No, the thing, <laughs> the thing you've got now is that I have to like try and segue from you singing a song about a bat. <laughs> no, I'm not singing a song about a bat. I'm singing a song sung by a bat. It is about bats, though. Uh, Grantly spots that something they've unearthed in this dig is um, the skeleton of a baby. Um, he then very quickly clears the scene. 
Um, Grantley's quick acting in getting rid of everyone from the scene is almost immediately undercut when they're talking about it in the staff room. And, like, Grantley seems to imply that it happens all the time. Yeah. I think it's Jasmine who says, oh, can you imagine anything like this happening? And Grantley goes, not been here long, have you? And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) No, this is new. (laughs) There's there's a couple of times in this when they just kind of, like, they just stop the whole scene for, like, a little 45-minute Daily Mail comment section. (laughs) And then just decide, because, like, Grantley goes all, you know... It was their choice. He goes, maybe it wasn't a choice. Like, not every teenage pregnancy is a rape. And it's like, why are they discussing this? It's very unsettling. Also, Um, legally, it is. (laughs) 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 Because a child under 16 legally cannot consent. (laughs) So, goddammit, Grantley. Know your laws. Anytime they want to sort of have the debate about an issue where one half of the debate is contemptible. They always just put it in Grantly. Yeah, yeah. Ah, we need someone to ex- yeah. We need someone to express a totally contemptible and horrible opinion. Grantly, <laughs> it's your time to shine. It's one of those things. Okay, this is a contemptible opinion. Let's put it out there. And I bet sixty yeah. percent of the people who watched it at the time went, "Yeah, <laughs> I like that." Grantly. He's just saying what we're all thinking. <laughs> He's just saying, saying what we're all thinking. I love the idea. That there's a genesis of thought from Grantly to Farage. <laughs> Um, meanwhile, they're trying to do subplots. I don't know why they're trying to do um, subplots. I, like, <laughs> if, there's a, if there's the skeleton of a baby, that's the plot. You don't... <laughs> Stop taking us to this bloody musical. So, Brett and Alicia are singing. They're singing like that one song from the musical that we've constantly been uh, played. And it's terrible. They're singing it together is. is terrible. And Matt's like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it is like a horror show. And Brett had insult to injury. You know, I'm not, you know, Brett had the wavy hair I wish I had, etc., etc. He's soundtracked by the kooks. But he sings and he does that thing where he's just lifting his right arm. And he's just like, every motion, is like every note, he just pushes out of his right arm. And like guys like that, they should have those arms cut off. Um, yeah, so Alicia's going like full diva because she thinks she's got Matt like over a barrel in terms of he can't find another leading lady, so she can do what she likes. Um, Brett just is entirely contented, contempt filled towards her. Um, it's all very odd. It's they've, the musical's happening soon, so they need to put it back in the show. <laughs> yeah, and but like at some point, because. Like saying Alicia's going to walk or whatever. Is it Steph who says he thinks she's going to walk, walk off this? No chance. It's like, has everyone forgotten that it's a bloody school production? And well, she's got top one. She's got top billing, allegedly. Although, billing. although, we'll get to that. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm excited about that. I was um... looking at the sign. <laughs> So uh, Dante is copying some homework for some reason. Um, Celine shows up. Oh, Celine. She's there again, and she talks to Dante very uh, as if they're best friends. Uh, we've never we've never seen them speak, as far as I can tell. Dante, there's not a girl Dante hasn't bottled. <laughs> it's very odd, and that that storyline will only continue to get more odd as the episodes um, go on. There's 
there's a really because you know, we talk about how like the facial expressions in this show like they're so obvious but then you know that the people around them would figure it out so during this celine asks dante if she wants help he stops he looks her up and down he nods and then he goes yeah all right then and she's like <laughs> she's sat right there she's making eye contact with you how did she not see that and like i'm a, i'm a man and i was a teenager and i have no bones about saying that i have been an utter pig in my life because all men are right <laughs> but like doing it that brazenly come on dante give us all a break yeah dante is is awful really um yeah. It, yeah, then is when we get Grantley doing his uh, Daily Mail comment section and getting told off by Davina. Um, and then we get the police arriving at the school, set to the most jaunty track what you could possibly... It's, it's, well, it's called Rainy Monday by the Shiny Toy Guns. And I can only imagine what happened is they read the title and went, Rainy Monday, that sounds, <laughs> sounds sad. We'll use that. <laughs> and then the show came out, they went, no, what did we do? Actually, you know, if, if they've got, if they're looking for jaunty tracks, forever lost by the magic numbers. That's all. <laughs> that's what this show needs. But yeah, no, it's the jauntiest music I've ever heard for some police arriving to seal off the scene of the death of a baby. I feel like no. I feel like isn't like walking on sunshine used. But like deliberately, this feels like an accident. Sometimes people yes, use jaunty no, music. This is this is an accident. It's not like every song choice in the Kingsman movies, which is like done with like a wink. Yeah. Um, no, this is just they picked the wrong song. <laughs> <laughs> um. So they do this thing. So in in soaps, when a character is about to be killed, they ha- usually do a whole episode where all of the other characters are sort of put in the frame. They all have like a motive to kill them. And the mm-hmm. whole thing is, which one? They do it here, but with who could be the mother of the dead baby. So like they imply it might be Celine. They imply it might be Mika for a bit. It's all very odd and at odds with how serious the story is. This whole thing, it reeks of that joke in Airplane where the guy asks for a second coffee and then like the paranoid woman next to him is like, he never asks for a second coffee at home. And then, like, every single time anyone has a slightly bad reaction to the fact a dead baby has been found on the school site, they, like, they walk off and another character looks at them like, they're the one. So, like, Eddie has a thing like this and then he walks off and then Rachel's looking at him like, maybe he had the baby. And it's just, it's so weird how they position, like, like, everyone's a suspect. That's exactly what they're doing. They're doing every other suspect spin the roulette wheel. Who will it be? And it's it's so at odds with how serious the storyline is. Um, so like, Rachel... Can I just say, I love the police officer. <laughs> she is dreadful. It is... Comedy detective. <laughs> it's utterly wonderful. She's so bad. So she's like talking to Rachel about, oh, we need to interview all the girls. We need a list of everyone who's had the morning after pill. Is that a thing? No, that can't be. <laughs> it can't be a thing. Like, it, it, the lines, it's just brilliant. She's like, look, I don't want to point fingers, but here is a list of groups I want to <laughs> point my finger at. Any, anyone in care? <laughs> Anyone who's asked for the morning after pill, anyone who's got a trouble history. And it's just like, 
oh, okay, so you don't want to point fingers, but here you are going, I'll have the likely suspects, please. And then when all the girls turn up, it's like, oh, they picked all of the ones in makeup. That's it. (laughs) That was the criteria. You wear makeup, you've definitely buried a baby in a field before. It's, it's honestly, it's so unpleasant. And, and like, so they, they kind of pay lip service to it because you've got Rachel saying that, oh, she's worried about the girls being stigmatised, the ones who are vulnerable. But she goes ahead and provides the list of vulnerable girls. Oh, yeah, yeah. She gives Stasi Steph full <laughs> reign to go after all the chavvy ones. Like it, well, in fairness, Steph is the head of pastoral care. So, yeah, it, but... it, it, <laughs> so it's, it's not unreasonable that she'd be asked to take the lead on it, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I know, but she again, she's like, yeah, target these ones, <laughs> not not the poshos. We do have to say something about, and we had, you know, we talk about the police officer and pull one out for a fallen hero because she refers to the press being interested, not the flaming the flaming press. press. <laughs> Sadly missed, Jack. Sadly missed. <laughs> <laughs> and Rachel reacts entirely fairly to being told that the press are there. No tables are flipped. <laughs> <laughs> not the press <laughs> <laughs> so um meanwhile matt's very concerned about the musical no one else is so we won't talk about that um no. so they do a weird interview with francine who's one of the girls and in this interview a girl in makeup a girl in makeup a girl who has the temerity to be in a relationship with someone older than her um and then she confides that she hasn't had sex with this older boy and that he's broken up with her because of it. And Steph advocates abstinence. Steph advocates abstinence. Like, the other thing as well is this this head of pastoral care and police officer, just like, every single one of these interviews, they just believe all of their first stories. I haven't had sex. And they go, oh yeah, cool. That sounds legit. Keep it up. <laughs> and then whenever the girls leave, they just sort of look at each other as if to say, hmm, a likely story. <laughs> <laughs> and then they play this, this track, it's Creeping Up the Backstairs by the Fratellis. And it's really upbeat. There's these queue of people waiting to be interviewed about the death of a baby. And the music's like, digga, 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 digga. And again, it's like, I don't want to point fingers, but the lyrics that they play over this walking line of girls in makeup is, I don't mean to be sleazy. And I was just like, oh, come on. Just choices. Um, so at this point, Tom finds uh, Davina in a stock room. She's had a bit of a d- uh, tough morning with Carla because Carla um, was very upset about the dig um, and uh, finding, uh, finding the baby. And so she's really struggling with the day. Um, so Tom kind of offers Davina a, a kind of uh, a shoulder to cry on. Um, there's a reference to Trisha, which I thought was very naughty's. Enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're now interviewing a girl called Rhiannon, who is immediately angry. <laughs> well, she is being accused of burying a no, baby. On... But, but she's not at that point. They're like, hello, Rhiannon. And she's like, what? <laughs> Are the press here? <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's like all of Jack Rimmer's anger that's now not in the show has been channeled into this incidental character. <laughs> it's it's incredible, and, and they're so like they're doing these like brief like interview skits where they're like doing jokes to each other, Stefan the police officer, and it's it's so weird. It's like it's, I don't know why they it's, thought 
did they think it was a comedy side piece, these interviews? I think so. It's like, well, it's like they were sat there and they're like, well, when two people who are doing a Waterloo Row podcast in a decade's time, we want them to have something to giggle about in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we need to help them to keep it light. Um, so yeah, they're, they're still doing So we then get another scene with Dante and Celine, where Celine's like, Celine basically pins Dante to the floor and goes, where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> um, and Dante's like, oh, I don't know. I'll probably drive cars like my dad. And then Celine immediately job shames Clarence. <laughs> like, well, that's um, a terrible job. <laughs> like, I, I know Dante. where you're going. <laughs> we all know where you're going. <laughs> but let's, let's go on the, the journey. Let's go on the journey. <laughs> the show keeps serving them up. Like... Dante thinks his option is driving taxi. He's done it once. And let's be fair to the guy, 50% of the passengers survived. No, no, two thirds of the passengers survived, one after several months. But I just, like, at that point, everybody knows he did this. Why would Celine not just look at him and go, Dante, are you serious? Would he ever be allowed to drive again after an incident like that? Um, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, he shouldn't. He probably shouldn't be. Really, should he? <laughs> and she, she then, like Celine, then goes and grills Mika about something about, about relationships. Celine's very unusual in this episode. She's just like slapping me around, going, "I am a character." Yes, yes. <laughs> Remember me. It's it's really really odd. Um, the thing I find quite interesting is like Dante. Isn't Dante like nineteen at this point? He's he he's sat, he's in his second year of A levels, but he started it a year late. So he's like desperately craving the approval. He's like a he's like a man. <laughs> I did write, man. I did write in my notes. Isn't Dante like twenty six at this point? <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it's a a married man like upset that a teacher wouldn't read his homework. Yeah, that's where we are. Um, so. Maxine then kicks off at Janice, who's talking about the uh, the, the baby. Um, <laughs> she wants to, like, again, sweet bloody justice for Janice. Oh, Janice. Janice is, yeah. She wants to go around kicking down doors yeah. and forcing women to take tests. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Janice has got the boiler room already. <laughs> um, yeah, Maxi, Maxine is not, not happy about this, kicks off at her, and, you know, we, we join the dots. Even Janice joins the dots at this point. What I do like, actually, is, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about the fact they kind of resolved the central plot quite quickly in the episode. But once they've done this scene, we all know where the plot's going. So I'm just glad mm. they didn't drag it out and pretend it was a mystery for another half an hour. Yeah. But then again, I don't know about this, because in the, I think in the next scene, Steph's like, it's Rhiannon. Yes. And it's because she feels it in her waters. That's exactly it, yes. Now... She Detec never felt Detective it in her Steph. waters about Maxine. No. She was like, she never got the water feeling. <laughs> they do a weird scene where Steph goes and talks to Grantley about Rhiannon. And Steph's like, she does that thing where they do in like detective shows where the camera like holds on her as she like works something out in her head. <laughs> and it's like, you're not Miss Marple, Steph Haydock. You're really not. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, in the land of subplots, um, Alicia and Danielle have vindictively convinced Carla to write a petition 
um, about how unfair it is that the dig's been cancelled. Um, it's in very, very, very bad taste. Um, and soon uh, Mika finds out and is um, yelling at, at Carla about the petition, uh, calls it sick. Um, Brett intervenes and uh, Mika tells Brett that she thinks she's pregnant. I don't care about this. No. I have, and and I this subplot will also be resolved in the, in the length of this episode. I have absolutely zero notes, like because the Misha and Danielle thing, Alicia and Danielle thing, I think is just like it's quite well handled. So I had no really notes about that. They're just horrible. They get called out for it, etc. I do find it really weird that after Mika has a yell at Carla, the next image is of Carla surrounded by about thirty children, all stood yeah. ten feet away, yelling at her. Like, I don't get why that happened. And yeah, yeah. The, only, the only thing I wanted from the Mika and Brett storyline was for the baby to be Dante's. <laughs> Just the banter outcome. Full-blooded soap drama there. <laughs> if, if, if this was happening in real life, that would be what would happen in 2020. And if that was happening, it would be in the next time trailer. <laughs> One thing I do find is quite odd about this is like we've seen a lot about Mika's like life and everything, but we didn't have a scene about the first time she had sex. No, because like they they did it with they did like they maybe they didn't want to repeat storylines. They did a similar thing with Chloe, but you'd think because they spent a lot of time on the Brett and Mika relationship at the start of this series, you'd think they would have. But they also don't. That. They also don't ever depict the first time. Chloe and Dante have sex. No, no, no. But, but like they have the conversation about it, and it's yes. the yeah. Obviously, they don't depict it, Tom. No, but, but um, you know what I mean. <laughs> so they have two, two, two or three episodes where the focus of their storyline is are or are they are or aren't they going to have sex at the end of this episode? And then four or five episodes later, she's sleeping with Brett, and so I think we just assume that her and Dante have been sleeping together. Yeah, but like, yeah, I, I just thought you know they would have done a similar thing with the kind of Mika and Brett storyline because we saw their relationship start and escalate, mm. etc. But then we kind of just get to immediately, for some reason, Brett is trying it on with her sister and succeeding. Not yes. trying it on. <laughs> just having it on. <laughs> having it on is not a phrase, is it? No, having it off. I think it's the phrase. Ah, there we go. <laughs> it's not a, sexy, not a sexy phrase, having it off. <laughs> Why off? I don't know. Having it off. I don't know. Having it on surely makes more sense. I, I don't know the, the etymology of that phrase. We'll have to call Susie Dent. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Esteemed lexicographer Susie Dent. <laughs> I would like Having to know. Having it off. <laughs> um, so Davina intervenes to help Carla out. As, as you said, she's surrounded by this baying mob. Uh, I assume Janice is in there somewhere. She usually is. Um. Davina finds out that uh, it was Alicia and Danielle who um, wrote this petition. <laughs> um, there's another really oddly up upbeat Fratelli song over... They, they do one of their um, occasional uh, brooding montages. So this yes. time it's Mika and Brett who are looking sad separately and we they play the, the Fratellis. See, I think we should do a supercut of the show where all of the scenes stay the same, but we should trade in, change in the music for the soundtrack of Basmati Blues. <laughs> and at that point, we play Love Don't Knock On My Door. Ah, yes. The racist rice musical with surprisingly catchy tunes. <laughs> <laughs> I 
don't think it's overtly racist. I mean, I, mean, I know by saying that I'm part of the problem, <laughs> but... <laughs> she does literally save the poor Indian farmers by riding around town on a white horse at the end. <laughs> Maybe it's tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> it is not time to litigate on Basmati Blues, I don't think. <laughs> So we next see Davina, she's looking at like a grainy picture of Jack. I'm like, what, is it some sort of school newsletter? I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom invites her to go for a curry with the girls. Um, she quite reasonably, I think, declines. It, it, it reminded me of the thing that kept happening in series one and two, where uh, Jack would invite Kim to dinners out of politeness and Kim would always go. Yeah, yeah. And we always were like, why? <laughs> why are you going, Kim? Davina, Davina, because she's perfect, has the uh, good <laughs> sense to say no. Because no, no, I'm just going to be only floating around healing the sick. Um, so Mika and Brett have gone off to um, the shopping centre to get a pregnancy test. Mika finds out she's not pregnant and Brett is uh, a little bit upset about it. Why? Don't know. <laughs> maybe that's what like maybe that's what like insane wealth means. Because <laughs> like, like he, I've already I've already set up a wing of the house. For the... <laughs> it's like I've already donated to the hospital. What's this? <laughs> I've cleaned all the booze out of my den. For the... <laughs> Why is this eighteen-year-old boy so gutted that his secondary school girlfriend isn't pregnant? Well, it's because they do this weird thing, and it's it's Dante syndrome where they like write these people like they're adults mm-hmm. and so like Dante was like well we need to get married to get a house and Brett's like we need a baby <laughs> it's like we're teenagers we're yeah. children we're in school uniforms <laughs> so so baffling uh so it, we've been marooned in the land of the subplots for 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 quite some time here mm-hmm. um <laughs> It's uh, it's very odd. So uh, Rachel wants Tom to get Mika back into the musical. <laughs> no one cares about music like school. <laughs> I was in school musicals. No one but the people in them care at all. Everyone else is just like, why is the hall always busy? That's all anyone else thinks about musicals. <laughs> to be fair, I like from quite from at this point in i was lost because eddie gets told about what alicia and danielle did and then he says it's bullying pure and simple yes and in my head i just went straight to hearsay (laughs) as always for for our younger listeners search (laughs) out hearsay pure and simple before X Factor before Pop Idol, we had pop stars. Was it pop stars? Um, hearsay, yeah, hearsay was pop stars. Girls Aloud yeah. were pop stars, the rivals. Yes, and then from there we went into Pop Idol, where I still think Gareth Gates was robbed, but we won't litigate on that right now. And also for our for our young listeners who are wondering, you know, why Pop Idol isn't on the air anymore. The last series of Pop Idol legitimately ended with one of the judges quitting because a girl who was overweight won. <laughs> that, that is the time from which we come to share our wokeness on the topics in Waterloo Road. Yes, yeah, so meanwhile, as you said, Eddie has been um, marauding around 
uh, very upset at, um, at Alicia and Danielle over the petition. He calls it the worst bullying he's ever seen. Um, uh, yeah, Alicia kicked off the musical. Uh, Danielle out of the school council. Everything's going mad. That's why Rachel is determined to get Mika back in the musical. <laughs> no musical comments. <laughs> I just, I don't care about the musical. And next week we have to talk about it the whole time. <laughs> oh, we so do. We so, so do. Um, so uh, let's go back to the main story. We've, we've done enough Land of the Subplots. Um, we'll have to tie up a, a few more subplots at the end. But we'll do the main story because I think this is where the episode actually does a good job. Thank the gods, finally. <laughs> um, so we see Maxine crying as she looks at the police tent. Uh, she confesses to Janice what happened, that while she was uh, sleeping rough and on drugs, um, she uh, found out she was pregnant. Um, she couldn't even really kind of admit it to herself. She kept getting drunk, kept taking drugs. Um, and that she felt the baby coming. She went from uh, the car where she was sleeping to the school in the hope that someone would be there. No one was. She gave birth to the baby and it was, uh, it was already dead and she did not know what to do. It's a very affecting scene, I think. Um, there's a lo it, it, it's lovely with uh, Maxine talking to Steph on uh, one of the benches. She, uh, she explains what happened. She says that she thinks she's a, a murderer, good as, and that she didn't know what to do. I think it's a, it's a really exceptionally well done scene. Well done, yes. Waterloo Road. <laughs> yes, it is a nice island in a sea of questionableness. <laughs> yes. It's like uh, when, yeah, it's... when they're not doing mad, upbeat Fratelli songs over very serious discussions, it's all good. And at... Yeah, I half expected it to be soundtrack to dry your eyes. I know. Mate, I'm I'm... <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, the, the focus is on Denise Welsh being very good as Steph and, and Ellie Pascal being absolutely brilliant as Maxine. I constantly sing the praises of the Maxine character and the way she's written. Uh, and I think this episode could easily have been a banana skin for that character. And I think they yes. actually come through it very well. Yeah, definitely. It takes you on a it takes you on a journey from start to finish, and it's one of those things where it's like we always hit the show hard for trying to retrospectively add stuff in to mm. explain parts of the character. But here, you know, Maxine's history is a bit of an unknown to us, and here they're filling in parts of what it was like and everything, and at the same time, you know, talking us through a lot of um, a lot of issues that young people and a lot of other people go through. And I think you know, it did it well without you know just reverting to a Daily Mail sidebar. Rachel is very keen for, for Maxine uh, to tell her story. She feels Maxine's been very uh, brave. Um, there's a, a scene where um, Maxine is talking to, to Steph and she's talking about how she's worried about the baby being in limbo. And it's, it's, it's again, it's very affecting. Um, they say they would have called the baby Charlotte. Um, they realise that the baby um, would have been Lewis's. Uh, and so Eddie goes and tells Lewis that he was the dad. And then there's, a, 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 again, a very good scene between Maxine and, and Lewis where um, they talk about, uh, Maxine says, we never could have kept the child anyway. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't work with the way you are and the way you live your life. And, and Lewis Seddon is very, very sensitive about it and, and acknowledges his own flaws. It's, it's a very good scene. The show is being good. Yeah, I mean, it's still trying to make us like Lewis, which is wrong. Stop, stop trying to make us do that. Um, yeah, I think, you know, 
Rachel's idea of having Maxine tell her story, I think, is you know, is a good idea in principle, but I don't think like it would actually work in any in any ex- secondary school that you would expect to be in. Yeah, but this is the school that when they did the zero tolerance policy on bullying, they had Clarence Charles walk out on stage to say, yeah, "I've been yeah, an idiot." Yeah. So actually, compared to that, this is this is and, it, and it's very nicely done as as Maxine tells her story. Um, and Rachel says they're going to bring in better sexual education at the school. So um, that was the thing that I thought was odd. Is like the takeaway is like Maxine's story is not one that applies to better sexual education because no. she was a drug addict. So her she was not in the headspace at any time to make any reasonable decision regarding any of what happened. She just wasn't, and you know she says as much. She wasn't like in it for it. But then they seem to spin it into a whole thing about sexual education. Then Jasmine pops up for her one line this week to be an easy softball where she is like, Why don't you just encourage them to have sex? And Steph is just like, they're gonna do it. We might as well. And she's like, okay, there's our Daily Mail approach to this. Yeah, they put the the they put the questionable opinion in Jasmine's mouth, which I, I, it sat really awkwardly for me actually. I was like, no Jasmine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jasmine, Jasmine, you're nice, you got a Scottish accent. You're supposed to be like liberal. You're supposed to be the better version of us. Jasmine was, you know, she was writing all their all the sex jokes for the musical, and now she's yeah. like, "Sex, we can't talk to them about sex. That's only for musicals." <laughs> it's all very odd. There's a very weird thing with Rhiannon where Steph apologizes to Rhiannon for assuming it was her, and Rhiannon basically says, not in as many words, but "Don't worry, Miss, could have been me," is basically <laughs> what she says, and it's really odd. She, I think the words she says are, it's only luck I've not been pregnant. Yeah. Which is, it's, that's, that's very odd. And it's like, it's like, don't it's worry, like Miss. For, you, for a minute they go back to Fratelli. It's like, don't worry, Miss. I'm a spade. You called me a spade. Yeah. It's all good. That's effectively what she does. It's, it's very, very weird. Um, so we go back to musical land briefly. Um, because Matt is still trying to get Eddie to, allow Alicia to be the star again. And then when he says no, he angrily sharpies out the poster. And Brett is billed above Alicia. So she did not get top billing, even though that was her condition of doing the show. Uh, it could be alphabetical. <laughs> That's the thing, right? Like, they put names on the posters. We never did that in my school. No, because no one knows <laughs> Oh, well, I'll go if Alicia's in the lead role. The likeliest thing is, if they put, like, my name on the posters, less people would have turned up. (laughs) I I have have a very slow, slow slow-burning personality. (laughs) Um, So we then have to handle the other quite serious plotline they introduce in this episode, albeit one they throw away so quickly that it's it's kind of tough to get a handle on it. So oh, I've um, got no notes on this. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about Eddie and his child. Oh, I, I had I had one more jive. I had one more jive about Tom and nothing else done for this episode. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to... um, so uh, Ed, Eddie, we've seen uh, leave the room a few times when the conversations got difficult, um, and he then tells Rachel that it reminds him he misses his own son who he doesn't see. Um, uh, Eddie then confides in Rachel that he had twins uh, and that one of them uh, one of them died suddenly, uh, uh, caught death. Um, and then he says that his ex, Alison, is basically keeping him away from his other boy who is three years old. 
Um, and that's kind of why he's especially upset by the whole situation. Which is, which is it's, it's thrown away very quickly because the show's devoting so much time at that point to the other very serious storyline that it's doing better. But it then goes absolutely mad because Rachel tracks down Eddie's ex-wife's phone number for some Not reason. Not just her house number, her mobile her number. Her mobile number. Very, very odd. Um, and the episode ends with them... They've gone for a drink together after school, and it's a much nicer pub than normal. <laughs> it's, this is not their normal Rochdale drinking hole. No, it's not Jack Rimmer's usual hole. No, it's not. Presumably not because Jack's, the... Jack's still in there. <laughs> yeah, not one of them is going home with a 17-year-old barmaid tonight. No. Um, and then as the episode ends, we see Rachel calling Eddie's ex-wife. Um, but I don't want to talk about that, because there are some more nice scenes with Maxine, Steph, and Lewis. They plant a tree... Uh, for baby Charlotte on the site. And uh, Lewis and Maxine have this very uncharacteristically mature conversation where Lewis is saying, now I've got this job, I can put money aside and maybe we can have another baby down the line. Um, I don't believe it for a second, but he's saying the right things. Yeah, it wants us as an audience to cheer on the idea of Lewis and Maxine having another baby. No, Maxine, run away from him. Especially, he semi-regularly talks about how he would beat her if he did, if she did some of the things that, say, Chloe does. Yeah, he's just very flippant about the abuse that he would like to dole out. He is. And um, Lewis, Lewis, like, nearly everything you describe about him is an attempted something. Yes. Attempted murderer, attempted rapist, attempted kitchen cook, attempted archaeologist. <laughs> Why was he there? Attempted drug dealer. Yeah, well, he did, he did that, but then oh, he, no, he did. killed he succeeded. someone. Attempted yeah, yeah. fast food impresario. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, an odd episode, I think. Um, it, it tackles this big central idea and actually does a very good job of it. Mostly, I think, because of the performances, um, uh, particularly particularly from, from Maxine. Um, and then the rest of it is just a cluster. It's such a mess. Yeah. And like the whole... Because another big beat at the end is like the Tom and Davina thing. Who cares? Why do these two have to be together? <laughs> Why does Tom have so much game? They are they are roughly the same age and single. Therefore, <laughs> the show demands they must yeah. be like. But it's really odd because like the scene like it's the one with Jack's like the weird photo of Jack's the gra- face, the grainy photo. <laughs> and then she sits there, she sees it, and she looks up, and there's Tom. We're like, oh, I see what you're doing there. But like, Tom then sits next to her, and he's like, he's kind of playing on his loss as an excuse for them to be together. He's like, you know, we have, we both have to move on. And I was like, look, people handle loss in different ways, but Tom's ex-wife and current partner died in like the last few months. He's trying the moves on someone so quickly after that. And if I was Davina, I'd be concerned. <laughs> yeah. It's very odd. That story. Again, I think, so many of Tom's storylines over like the last 10 episodes. I've just really struggled. <laughs> I find myself just not wanting to like, God of the days where we were celebrating ordinary man, Tom Clarkson. He says what he yeah, feels. He, he was the voice <laughs> of reason. And now it's just like, Tom, just stop. No, hang on, hang on. A- Andrew Treneman was the voice of reason. Oh uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> 
Um, if only for if only for a Trenerman man in the Department for Education. <laughs> so yes, next week we have the musical. <laughs> Dreading this. Alicia is sabotaging it in some way. The governors are there because of something Rachel's doing. And uh, Eddie's ex-wife, Alison, shows up and dumps the kid at the school with him. Um, yes. Not, not so many serious ideas at play in this episode. No. No, I kind of just... Uh... Like, if this didn't have that one great scene with Maxine in it, this would be up there with... You know, this would have been a twofer on crap episodes, like, one after the other. But, to be, to be fair, if, if they hadn't had this, that storyline, they'd have had to do something else in this episode. Yeah, but... Mm... They might have but filled there's... it with something wonderful. There's a decent chance they would have messed that up as well. <laughs> Well, yes. Play out song. I was hoping we'd finish on like a jaunty joke so I could justify playing the Fratellis. <laughs> Hearsay, pure and simple. <laughs> I don't wow. think that song gets enough appreciation. It, it works. The song is good. It's a totally reasonable pop song. Yeah. And I think like the spin, like, because there was the five who won and then the other five joined and made Liberty X. Yes. And then the song that they did was also really good. Which one? Is it just a little bit? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was a lot of leather. <laughs> that, was the one like... that, that was the one that be- began with the lyrical genius of sexy, everything about you so sexy, was it not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't even know what you've got. Uh-uh. <laughs> You're really hitting my spot. Hey, did you know that uh, got was a three-syllable word? I didn't. <laughs> <clears throat> Yes, Liberty X, and <laughs> <laughs> their lyrical genius. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's a strange episode, but um, we got through it, and I don't think we disgraced ourselves with any of our opinions. So that's no, good. no, no. I think it's quite easy to be on the right side of this episode. I think it's quite <laughs> the, easy. The show, the show doesn't manage it. <laughs> now, I think it's quite easy for us to be on the right side of all of the topics. What we, when we try to explain, talk about anything in depth, we kind of real, we kind of reveal just how incapable we are of doing it, but we're trying really hard. And in this one, we can just all agree, yeah, that's a bad thing to have happened. Pure and simple. <laughs>